Hi friends, welcome to Preacher, a podcast designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. I'm your host, Jen Hale Christie, and this is season four. We have a wonderfully supportive and encouraging Patreon community. Sarah, Lauren, Dave, Steve, Mark, Sheila, and Tom, I thank the world of you all, and I thank our God every time I remember you. If you are a listener who hasn't yet joined our Patreon community, now is a great time. Your support keeps this good work going, so thank you. Links are in the show notes. Friends, we are living in a truly remarkable time. Never before has the future seemed so uncertain. And what better time to be dwelling in the book of Acts among a people who were living in unprecedented times. May we find ourselves in these stories as we find ourselves in God's story. Today we have a guest preacher, and after the sermon, I encourage you to stick around and hear our conversation about life, ministry, and hope for the church. Let's hear a word. Acts 17, 22 through 31. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed he is not far from each one of us, For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The word of the Lord. George Mallory, when asked why he wanted to climb Mount Everest, famously replied, because it's there. I will not soon forget standing in my kitchen, talking to my friend Katie while she and her family were on furlough from their mission base in Tanzania. My husband and I were planning to visit them in Tanzania a year or so from that kitchen conversation when she drops this one on me. When you guys come, are you going to climb Kilimanjaro too, or is it just Brian who wants to do it? Because I would climb if you would climb. 
I might have actually unleashed a minor emergency word along with a laugh, and then realizing that she was serious said, wait, what? For many years, thanks to John Barton, my husband Brian dreamed of climbing Kilimanjaro, and when our friends moved to Tanzania, he immediately began dreaming and planning a visit and a climb. He grew up in the mountains of West Virginia, cut his teeth on adventurous expeditions to the Sierra Nevadas in high school, and regularly went on weekend rock climbing trips during college. Me? I read a lot of books and watch a lot of Netflix. But when Katie asked me that fateful question, something deep inside my bones stirred a little bit. Knowing that we needed to choose dates for our trip soon, I did what I know best, become well-informed. I ordered two books about Kilimanjaro, explored mountaineering blogs, and began researching equipment. Like Hermione Granger, the overachieving know-it-all companion of Harry Potter, who, when nervously anticipating her first flying lesson, quickly found out this was something you couldn't learn by heart out of a book, not that she hadn't tried, I practically memorized a detailed guidebook, aptly named Climbing Kilimanjaro. And I made the decision. I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Maybe George Mallory was onto something, and feeling particularly brave, bearing in mind that Mallory died on Everest during his third attempt to climb, hopefully our fate would turn out differently than his. We spent the next year preparing, saving, and hiking. Lots and lots of hiking. So what does Kilimanjaro have to do with Mars Hill? How many sermons, classes, articles, and papers have you heard or read centering on this particular text in Acts 17? In my experience, we tend to jump on the idea that Paul is concerned with meeting the Athenian people on their terms and in their vernacular in order to share the message of Christ and fulfill his mission. It would seem to me that Luke includes this story as a natural progression of the gospel being proclaimed from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Here we are, in Athens, at the ends of the earth. This fits Luke's narrative, which begins in the margins. The Messiah, a baby born to poor, soon-to-be immigrants among an occupied people, revealed first to vagrant shepherds, hidden from those in power. He grows up and brings the message that the kingdom of God has come near near to the poor, the oppressed, the prisoner, a kingdom of healing and hope and promise, a kingdom where the first will be last and the last will be first, a kingdom where everything is turned upside down and where the demand for allegiance is to Christ Jesus rather than Caesar, a kingdom where power structures are reversed and self-giving love is the currency, a kingdom whose servant king is killed outside the city, shamed, mocked, and humiliated. But a kingdom whose servant king doesn't stay dead. What? It's foolishness. A kingdom whose story is life through death and whose message of new creation is offered to everyone, beginning with those on the margins and spreading like holy fire through all of creation. Oh yes, friends, this is the gospel story which Paul holds, handles, 
shares and lives throughout the book of Acts. But I wonder, when we tend to focus on Paul as the giver and fill-in-the-blank audience as receiver, if we miss other important parts of the story. For instance, here in Acts 17, what does Athens give to Paul? I invite you to close your eyes for a minute, unless you're driving. Close your eyes and imagine with me for a minute. You're in the Mediterranean. The air is hot and humid. You're walking slowly through a marketplace in a city unfamiliar, a place far away and removed from your ordinary. What do you smell? Roasting meat, baking bread, dust, sweat, slight whiff of seawater in the distance. What do you hear? Shouts, laughter, street noises, cooking noises. What do you see? Shopkeepers selling their wares, children running, mothers chasing. And what's that? It looks like an altar, and naturally you are curious. You've walked by dozens of shrines and spaces of worship so far and carefully inspected them, but for some reason this one stands out. It has an inscription to an unknown god. A slight shiver runs down your spine. You stand still for several minutes, listening, smelling, seeing, breathing in, breathing out, to an unknown god. After a few minutes, you continue your walk through the city, holding on to something you cannot quite grasp. I cannot help but wonder if maybe Paul actually encountered something sacred at that altar as he was, as he was walking through Athens. What if Paul delivers a speech to the Areopagus not simply as a ploy to get converts, but as a way to give speech to the numinous? an attempt to offer words describing mystery. What if, in Athens, amidst the purported swirl of idolatry, Paul bumps into God? Barbara Brown Taylor writes, Earth is so thick with divine possibility that it is a wonder we can walk anywhere without cracking our shins on altars. I'd like to think that, yes, in a surprising turn of events, perhaps Paul actually encountered God at that altar, becoming the receiver. Maybe in that moment, Paul was paying attention, looking twice, open to the continuously surprising voice of the divine. Consider the pace at which we normally tend to do life. I cannot speak for all of you, but for me, the temptation is to plow through, make lists for the things, do the things, stress about all the things, and then go to bed and do it all again the next day. Barbara Brown Taylor continues, while many of Jesus's present-day admirers pay close attention to what he said and did, they pay less attention to the pace at which he did it. Jesus did a lot of walking. The same is true of Paul. We get into Acts and often forget that this book chronicles years and years of life, much of which for Paul was spent slowly traveling through cities, in prison or under house arrest. 
Talk about time to pay attention. But for most of us, the call to wake up seems removed and unimportant in the face of our frantically paced lives. Friends, every day we are running past altars, sacred moments in which we encounter the divine. We are running past opportunities to listen to our Athenian neighbors, to receive from their knowledge and practice, to open ourselves to the surprising manifestations of the Spirit of God. And sometimes the call to wake up hits hard and fast. Back to Kilimanjaro, January 2017. Backpacks loaded, water bottles filled, hiking boots broken in, We loaded into a dusty Land Rover to make the four-hour drive around the base of the mountain to the starting point of our eight-day journey. Said Land Rover consisted of Brian and I, American Christians, Katie, Tanzanian resident missionary, our guide Abdi Shirazi, native Tanzanian Muslim, our assistant guide Godfrey, native Tanzanian Catholic, and Shord, the randomly placed Dutch guy who was thrown into our group last minute along with his guide Dula, a native Tanzanian Muslim. We had the makings of Pentecost in that bumpy car ride. Three languages, three religions, seven varied worldviews, and even more so in our camps each night where tents of yellow, orange, and red licked the earth like tongues of fire from all over the world. We met hikers from Japan, South Africa, Korea, Canada, the UK, China, Australia, India, Germany, And there she loomed before us, Kilimanjaro, that 19,341-foot altar holding space for hundreds of seekers. For days, we walked. We began in rainforest, the sound of birds and colobus monkeys providing our soundtrack. Each day, waking with the sun and sleeping with the moon, the rhythms of the mountain demanding our utter respect and fidelity. By days three and four, the landscapes changed and the mountain got lonelier. Less vegetation, less wildlife, more silence. We walked slowly, each step deliberate, each breath labored as the elevation rose. We hiked through rocks, sat still while clouds literally brushed our faces with cold damp, and settled in each night to warm soup and warmer company. Shord taught us a Dutch card game. We laughed, we talked, and each night I read to our tiny cohort of climbers from my Climbing Kilimanjaro guidebook about what to expect the next day, exactly how many kilometers we would be hiking, and what kind of elevation shifts to expect. Truthfully, nothing written could prepare us for what lay ahead each day. It could only be learned through walking. By day six, we were preparing for our summit bid, temperatures hovering around 15 degrees. Abdi woke us up at 10 p.m., and by 10.30, we were walking, the first group to leave the Barafu base camp. Walking this time in the dark, the path before us lit only by our headlamps. Our rhythm, walk for 45, break for five, over and over again for hours. I remember looking out at one point and watching a lightning storm several hundred feet below us. 
and as the night loomed on, a thin line of tiny lights in a switchback pattern making their way toward us. The only thing in front of me was Abdi's boots and his pace, crunching white snow, leading the way forward. With my hands frozen, nose runny, breath coming hard, spirit at the breaking point, Godfrey, like a mother hen tending her chicks, unzipped my pack and applied my chapstick to my numb lips, wiped my nose and helped me take sips of water, muttering soft encouragement in a mixture of broken English and Swahili. God help me became my sacred refrain that night. I repeated it for hours in the dark, entering a sacred rhythm of prayerful groundedness, bumping into an altar of snow and scree with each step. Up we climbed, hundreds of searchers, groping to find something in the dark, sensing that perhaps that something is not far from each one of us. We crested Kilimanjaro just as the sun was rising and made it to the summit with tears and laughter, me clinging to Abdi's strong arm for the last hundred yards. St. Augustine said, Solviture ambulando. It is solved by walking. I think I understand what he was getting at. As I walked the earth, observing all of the altars to known and unknown gods, the real lived experience of a common humanity moving toward something more expansive and at the same time beautifully particular, woke me up to the divine in which we live and move and have our being. And so I wonder what Paul was thinking about when he left Athens. Was he planning the next leg of his journey, thinking about Dionysius and Damaris, the two named Athenian converts? Perhaps. And maybe he gave space to consider that walk around the city and the altar to an unknown God. And maybe he left grateful for the surprising gift of grace. May we pay attention to the altars in our worlds. May we wake up to the surprising presence of the Spirit in places and people unexpected. May we walk slowly, and may the walking be the destination. Hello, Beth Bowers, and welcome to the Preacher Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I am so glad to have you on here. Before we jump into talking about your beautiful sermon, um, tell us a little bit about who you are and um, kind of what you do in your day-to-day -day life. I know life is really different right now with COVID-19, but you know, generally speaking, or maybe what you used to do a couple of months ago, how life used to look. Right. So it definitely feels different right now in this moment. Um, but normally in my normal life, um, I'm the director of operations and formation, spiritual formation for Church Innovations Institute, um, which is a nonprofit that partners with churches um, and church leaders to uh, journey with them and discovering what God is up to um, in their communities and in their their uh, church families. Um, and so it's a it's an exciting um, it's an exciting work to be a part of. Uh, I work from home, which is nice. And so Zoom is part of my normal existence, which is kind <laughs> of helpful. Yeah. In a season where everything is on 
Zoom. So that's that's part of what I do. I'm also um, finishing my doctorate at Lipscomb in mission leadership and spiritual formation. So I'm in the dissertation writing portion of that. So Exciting. That's what my normal looks like. And what, um, tell us a little bit about what the research is that you're up to right now. So what I am looking at is how uh, nature, uh, how physical contact specifically with nature forms us spiritually. So mm. um, I'm going to be interviewing um, all sorts of people who regularly participate in um, outdoors type activities. So whether that be hiking or running or gardening, I mean, it could really be all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. uh, so just talking to people who do that is kind of their normal rhythm, but also people who've had, um, you know, larger uh, outdoors experiences like, um, but like for me, what started all of this was I hiked Mount Kilimanjaro back. Yes. Uh, about three years ago and it, it was a really formative and changing life-changing experience for me and so talking to people who've done that type of thing too um so my plan was to interview people in person um that might end up happening on zoom which is okay i think <laughs> that i can still participate in that research um via media if needed uh so i'm excited to get into it i haven't started interviewing yet i'm doing the book research right now so <laughs> oh man that's so fun well I know that that's this is an especially challenging time to be doing that um, to be finding the space and the time and the energy um, amidst other parenting responsibilities and yeah. as, a, as a new homeschooling mom now <laughs> all of that that was never part of my plan <laughs> <laughs> mine either <laughs> well I um, I really enjoyed hearing your story of um, hiking Mount Kilimanjaro, and um, I mean, as you were telling it, obviously it's it's your story, but um, but you tell it in a way that you know, like as the hearer, like we're hearing your story, but we're also like immediately if we have an experience like that, like we're in our own story and remembering what that's like. And for me, I'm you know I'm hiking Half Dome and like getting to those familiar signposts or the, those points in the journey where like man you just don't know if you're going to be able to keep going on um and obviously like i mean hiking half dome is a one-day thing so it's so so different from mount kilimanjaro and i've never done such an amazing feat so wow like way to go beth um but you know it just gives you such a sense of like the grandeur of of God and of creation and the smallness of us as human beings and and such a profound sense of awe um, of God's care for us. Like, you know, that we're just these minuscule little specks. Um, and here is this God who can create these these wonders really for us to behold. Um, and so anyway, that was just a, such a neat experience to, um, to get to a window to peek in on. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, let's see, I love the, the Barbara Brown Taylor um, pull in about the altars in the world, um, about the, the altars that are all around us, that we would, that your quote where, where your sermon title comes from about how we could, you know, we'd be cracking our shins on them all the time if only we had eyes to see, if we were walking slowly enough, if we were kind of moving at, at the appropriate pace. Um, 
and that's something that, you know, it has been really on the forefront of my mind as we've been in the midst of this pandemic is just how much it's forced so many of us to slow down and to really move at a pace that is more like natural to us. Um, so I, I, I guess in all of that, my wonderment is like, as you have been dwelling in this and you've preached this sermon and, and this has been on your mind and in your heart, um, have you noticed yourself bumping into any altars out there in the world as you go about your life? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. So just bringing it into our context right now, um, I guess the, the major thing that I have, have been noticing and paying attention to is it's very difficult, even when you're forced to slow down, to be be intentional about noticing and paying attention. It's easier, mm-hmm. honestly, just to kind of wallow <laughs> in the hardness. And it's okay to sit in the grief because uh-huh. truly that's what we're all experiencing right now is some version of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. It is okay to sit in lament. And also it is okay to notice the the spaces where God is trying to get your attention. And I think that that's what I'm noticing is, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you, when you sit in a space of, uh, difficulty, um, it's like all of your shadow side comes to the forefront, right? Mm. So my impatience comes to the forefront, you know, when I'm sitting with my kids, uh, trying to help them with, with school, uh, when I would rather be doing a lot of other things, right? So, <laughs> I'm learning a lot about um, myself, I think. Um, I'm learning to pay attention for the ways I see God uh, trying to get my attention um, and even partnering with me in this in this hard space of uh, stillness and waiting. Um, I, I've thought a lot really about our story of death, burial, and resurrection. Um, obviously, Holy Week and Easter has brought that to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels like we're kind of in that space of burial right now, where we're waiting to see um, what is God up to. And I, I guess the thing that I think about um, when I'm thinking about what are the altars that I'm cracking my shins on right now, um, I'm trying to notice uh, the spaces of life even in that, that waiting, that burial period, because they they emerge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, for me, just times of being able to get outside, uh, which look a little different right now, because I usually try to make space for that when I'm alone. That's my yeah. preference, <laughs> to uh, experience nature by myself, but that's not a huge possibility right now, right? I have to take my kids out with me, and sometimes that's uh, you know, with uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to go on another walk. I don't yeah. want to go on another bike. <laughs> so that's changed, that's changed the landscape for me in a lot of ways. Something that has been sacred and holy to me. Um, I have to work a little bit harder mm-hmm. to, to get into that same head and heart space uh, when I'm experiencing nature. So I guess all that to say is this season is hard and I'm trying to be okay with number one, acknowledging that and not feeling like I have to be profound at every moment because Mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I think that we're still in a lot of ways uh, just sitting in this, this burial and waiting space of, um, of being formed. And I think we're being formed. We can't necessarily name it um, in all of the ways that it's happening, but it's happening. And so I, I keep wondering um, what, what has got up to uh, as we will, will at some point here begin to emerge from this time of, of waiting. So I guess that's what I'm noticing uh, is um, just this, this whole cycle of death, burial, and resurrection and how that is really such an important part of our journey. Yeah. Oh, man, I had not thought about this as a, as a period of, of being kind of buried and waiting for that resurrection to come. So interesting um, for this to, you know, be coinciding with Holy Week and Easter and kind of Easter coming and going and not in some ways, I don't know, for me, not feeling like much of an Easter. Like we didn't really experience the significance of the resurrection. It mm -hmm. feels like we're still waiting. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I wrote a piece today um, and I titled it A Broken Hallelujah, right? Because mm -hmm. that's kind of what it feels like, you know, and in some liturgical traditions, you bury the hallelujah during Lent, and then you resurrect it mm. at Easter. Um, and so, you know, we've resurrected it. Easter has come and gone, but I feel like that hallelujah is is very broken right now. Mm -hmm. It feels broken for me. I know it feels broken in the world, and yet God is still present in it. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to notice. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's deep. Thank you, Beth. You're welcome. Thank you uh, for having me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really appreciate you being on here. And um, I do hope that you will join us again. Um, hopefully, we will be on the other side of this and we'll have lots of lessons learned and our world will be a different place. And in some, you know, some like light shining through the cracks in a hopeful kind of way, like our world will be better in some ways um, for going through this, not to minimize all of the, the suffering and the loss, um, but just, you know, finding places of hope that there are things that we can adjust in the way that we live um, to take care of our, our earth and ourselves better. Absolutely. May it be so. <laughs> Amen. Well, thank you so much, Beth. Thank you. Bye. Bye. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash jenhalechristy. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Jen Hale Christie. 
Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.